have come to that part in the service where we get to come to God's Word and read it together and hear what it is that He would be saying to us and have us to hear. I want to ask you right now, uh, go ahead and be turning in Philippians chapter 4. We'll get to the passage in just a moment. As you're turning to Philippians chapter 4, in your own Bible, or if you did not bring one with you, there should be a blue Bible in the row, by the way, if you need to to use one of those. But as you're turning to Philippians chapter 4, I want to go ahead and kind of call our attention to to a few things. You may have noticed, if you paid attention to the bulletin, that the title for this message is Christian Contentment. We're going to be talking a lot about contentment. I'm going to mention discontentment. I think those kind of go hand in hand when I think about contentment, and I'll mention this in a moment. Actually, I found out, studying this passage to bring it before you this morning, I found out that I actually, I don't think of contentment. I think of discontentment. That's what I focus on is discontentment. But contentment's always kind of been a, a strange word to me. It's kind of been a strange idea. It's always brought images in my mind of some some guy kicking back with his hands interlocked behind his head, his feet propped up, something in front of him, and the world around him is just swirling out of control. I mean, everything around him is just chaos. But this guy is just cool, calm, and collect, and he's got this smirk of a grin on his face. He's content with everything around him going crazy, but he is content. So really when I think about contentment, think about people that are contentment, I think of them as really not being up to a whole lot, not having a whole lot of responsibility, maybe. And I think if we all would kind of admit it, I admitted it to myself this week, when I think of someone being content, I typically want to think of that person, the contented person, being someone that's not very ambitious. And I want to think that's how they got to be content. They weren't really all that ambitious in their lives. But this is not true, especially when we talk about the kind of contentment that the Apostle Paul is talking about in our passage of Scripture this morning. He ends up saying, I have learned to be content no matter what happens to me. That's what he's going to say. He says, I've learned to be content no matter what happens. Now, we'll get to this passage in just a moment. Because there's another type of contentment that I typically think of. And this is that discontentment that I was mentioning earlier. Now, this wasn't really planned for me, Chris and I didn't talk about this months ago or weeks ago, and I didn't come to him and say, hey, can I preach about contentment? But as it turns out, I've been for the past few months getting together with a group of men on Thursday nights, and we've been talking a lot about the idea of contentment and discontentment. We've been reading through a book called The Greener Grass Conspiracy. And in this book, it asks a lot of questions. Now, I want to mention a few of these to you before we get fully started. It asks questions like, how green is the grass in your yard? You know, the greener grass conspiracy. What we think about is, my grass as green as my neighbor's yard. And then it would push a little bit further, and it would say things like, did you buy a new TV two years ago? A lot of us could relate to things like that. You know, let's say you bought a 42-inch flat screen two years ago. You loved that 42-inch screen TV. You couldn't wait to get home with it. It was great. It was awesome. 42 inches was pretty big two years ago. But now your neighbor has a 55-inch. And he paid three-fourths what you paid two years ago for your 42. The picture quality is just as good. Picture quality might even be a little better. Maybe you've got the 720 and he's got 1080i. All of a sudden we become discontent. 
And it goes on in this book, and he says things like, this TV that you absolutely loved two years ago, said, now you can't walk into Walmart, you cannot go into Costco, Best Buy, wherever it is you shop, you can't go into those stores without immediately becoming what? Discontent. I become discontent with what I have because I see all this other stuff. I used to be happy with it, but now I see what I could have or what I want. So all of a sudden, I become a little less satisfied in those things that just recently I found so much contentment in. So this type of being content really tells me when I think of contentment that in order to be content, in order to be happy, in order to be satisfied, I really must be willing and able to go without. That's what I think of contentment. I think in order to be content, I've got to be happy with the circumstances that I find myself in. Contentment really is just understanding that I can go with less, right? That's what I've thought about contentment. Now, did you know that the Bible actually commands us to be content? I want us to see that this morning. It's not a suggestion, but God, through His Word, actually commands us to be content. Now, we're all seeking some sort of happiness. We're all seeking some sort of contentment. And I venture to say that not a one of us in this room is exempt. I think if we're honest with ourselves, we would admit the reason for that is we're selfish. Now, sometimes we kind of hide it or we justify it by maybe saying that I'm looking for this happiness for my family. I want my family to be content. I want my family to be happy. But if we really look down into the heart of it, it's because we have selfish hearts. But many of us go about it in different ways. Some of us, we search for contentment in a bigger and a newer house. Some of us search for contentment in maybe a newer car with XM radio. So we we go about it in many different ways. And I believe that the more we have, the more discontent we actually become. And that's going to be important for us as we go through this passage this morning. That being content is not just about coming to grips with the circumstances that you find yourself currently in. Now let's look at the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was a contented man. And in Philippians 4, verses 10 through 13, we read about this contentment. Follow along with me as I read verses 10 through 13 of Philippians 4. He says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, as we read Your Word, it's refreshing. Lord, we thank You this morning that we have Your Word, that You have not remained silent. Lord, I'm thankful this morning that You work with immediacy. And Lord, we pray that You would do that right now. As many of us are struggling with many things in our lives, and as many of us maybe just have praises to shout from our mouths, Lord, we give You the glory and not ourselves. 
Lord, during this time, would you draw us closer and closer to you. Put me aside, Lord, and let us hear your word this morning, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I want to talk a little bit more about this idea that the more we have, the more discontent, I believe, that we become. I say we're commanded to be content, but we are called to be satisfied. We are called to have enough. To have enough no matter what you have in your possession. Now, God is not telling us so much to be content, to find this content, this content nature. He's not commanding us to be happy with what we have in our bank account. Now, what I'm about to say would typically be, maybe for some of us, I know for myself, what I'm about to say would be maybe the last part of the sermon. This would be like the main thrust. We'd build up to this point, and I would say this at the very end, hoping to grab you know, a few attention there, and it'd be like, oh, that's what he was getting at. This is what I'm getting at. I'm going to go ahead and tell you right now. Here's the idea. God is commanding us to make so much out of Christ that nothing that we can attain in this life can even compare. That's what we're looking at this morning. That God is commanding us to make so much out of Christ that nothing we have can even come close to comparing. That when we make much out of Jesus Christ, all the money in the world won't matter. All the friendships in the world won't matter compared to knowing Him. We are called to be satisfied, so satisfied in the Lord, as we've already seen in Philippians, but in case maybe you're visiting with us this morning, or maybe you weren't here when we read Philippians 3, verses 7 and 8. Let me read this for you. It says, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Nothing compares to knowing the Lord. He says, For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as trash. He says, I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Now let's look at verses 10 and 11 from our passage in Philippians 4 this morning. He says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation that I am to be content. Now Paul is rejoicing. That's me and you this morning. This is really kind of our first point, that we must rejoice in the Lord greatly. But why is Paul rejoicing? Let me set it up for you. Paul is Chris Peters. Paul has started a church. He has started a work. He has ministered alongside of these people whom he's writing this letter to. He's writing this letter to the Philippians. He has ministered alongside of them. He's been with them through thick and thin. And when the time was right, he left that place to go spread the gospel somewhere else, to go share God's word in other places. But when he left, they didn't forget about him. They didn't stop praying for him. They didn't stop praying for his work that they knew that he was continuing to do. Now let's look a few years down the road. Here we are. Chris Peters is a planning pastor of Cross Creek Church. 
He ministers to you. And in case you didn't know it, you minister to Him. You minister to His family. Now, Cross Creek grows, purchases land, builds a physical church building to go along with the church that's being built up among you, who is the church. And he and his family feel that the Lord's calling them to another place. Maybe to go start another church, just to go spread the gospel in another place. So they leave, and they start this other work. Well, time goes by, maybe a couple years, few years. You haven't forgotten about Chris and Patience and their family, but maybe you don't know of a specific need that they have. You don't have a financial support letter that you just got last week in the mail telling you exactly what it is that they needed, that they were asking for. Paul says you did not have that opportunity. And in verse 11, that he's learned to be content anyway. He says in every situation, no matter what I find myself in, I have learned to be content. So, we actually know that when we read this, when I read this, when I see that Paul says that I am content, I want to read that as he was content in every situation. But, in reality, look back at it. Is that actually what he says? Because we learn that in whatever situation that we find ourselves in, if we're following the example set forth in Scripture this morning, it says that we are to be content. He's not saying, I was, I'm always content. No complaining, no grumbling. I'm doing it perfectly. He's saying, I know what the secret is. He said, the secret is God is commanding me to be content. Now, we have to be a little careful here, though, because we can easily read this, very easily read this, and see that Paul is rejoicing because he received this material item, because he received this material good. That Paul's rejoicing because he got a big check in the mail. But that's not what he's saying. That is why verse 11 is so important for us this morning. This is the qualifier. In verse 11, he tells us why he's rejoicing. So the satisfaction that he expressed over this material need must not and actually cannot be thought of as the reason for his joy. It can't be. We must not find the measure of our joy in the satisfaction of our circumstances changing because that need was met. Because he says, in every situation, I am to be content. Whether I receive this from you or not, I am to be content. Now God commands us. He says, be content. But I've got to tell you, I'm not. I stand up here before you this morning and I can say this till I am blue or red in the face, whichever I'm getting right now, and I can tell you I am not. I want you to be honest with yourself right now. Because if you are honest, I believe that you would be saying, I am not content. But I want you to see that God is commanding you this morning where you sit. He's commanding you to be content. Now, some of you may be sitting there going, if you only knew what was going on in my life right now, Harrison, you would understand my discontentment. Maybe saying, Harrison, if you knew what was going on, you would understand why my heart is so hard. But what I want you to see in the rest of this passage is that God calls us, especially in those times, to find our contentment 
in Him. And here's the beautiful thing. He tells us how to do that. And He doesn't just tell us. He shows us how to do that. He shows us how to find our contentment in Him. Now, I get that these points this morning are really not all that creative. There's no great acronym that I'm going down through, ABC or XYZ, and each letter matches up with a point. First point, we must rejoice in the Lord. That sounds great. And maybe in Sunday school that's the right answer. Hey, I need to rejoice in the Lord. But you're probably wondering practically, how do I actually do that throughout the week? Well, moves us into our next point. I want us to see, secondly, this morning, that you and I must recognize how to abound. I really cleared it up, didn't it? We've got to rejoice in the Lord, and we have to learn how to abound. Well, I want us to see how we are actually supposed to play that out in our day-to-day lives. Practically, how do we do that? I'm here to tell you it's very simple, yet it's profound. It's actually very, very easy. But for those of us in this room, it is so disturbingly difficult. It is so easy, but it is disturbingly difficult. We must look to the one who has been brought the lowest of all, and we must find our strength in him. Now look at verses 12 and 13 of our passage this morning. He says, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, I mentioned earlier as part of kind of my introduction saying that when I typically think of contentment, I think about having to go without. In order to be content, I've got to learn to go with less, to be with with less stuff in order to find contentment. I want to define contentment as being happy about that. My contentment is bringing a smile on my face knowing that I'm never going to have that. So I need to be happy with where I am, where I find myself currently. But Paul says that it is just as important to find contentment in what? in abundance, as it is in need. Now, why would he be telling us it's just as important to find contentment in times of abundance, times of plenty, as it is to find contentment in times of need? Because I would venture to say that it's harder to find contentment when you have more. And I really struggle with seeing things in my life, these blessings, as I like to label them, and they are. They are blessings in my life that I experience. I don't see the blessings in my life as things that actually get in the way with my relationship with the Lord. I don't see having enough food for every meal in my house. I don't see it as having enough food for each one of my children. I don't see that as something that gets in between the Lord and myself. That's just a blessing. But the more I have, guess what? The less I tend to depend on God. So I would venture to say the more that we have, the harder that it is for us to find that contentment, that happiness that we're actually searching for. The more I have, the less I depend on God. Now I want to give you a quick little illustration. Mariella, who is my first grader, loves watching Little House on the Prairie. Loves it. 
absolutely loves Little House on Prairie. She has all the seasons on DVD. Now, I want to recommend Season 3, Episode 1, for those of you who have the Hallmark Channel or wherever you can pick up Little House these days. Season 3, Episode 1, Johnny Cash, The Man in Black, guest stars. And if you remember from Little House on the Prairie, you remember Reverend Alden. And Reverend Alden starts the episode, starts the show, and he's riding into another town, leaving Walnut Grove. Reverend Alden gets sick. And this man comes along and finds him. Of course, it's Johnny Cash. Finds Reverend Alden sick. So sick he can't even move. He can't even tell what his name is. So he takes him back to his cabin with his wife. They take care of him. Well, when he comes to, Reverend Alden shares with him and says, I don't care how sick I am. I've got to get up. I've got to get out of this bed. I am traveling to nearby towns to collect money, to collect goods. There's a nearby town that's had everything burned to the ground. Their homes, all their crops, everything they have is gone. And I'm going from town to town, knocking on doors, asking for collections to take to this town so that they can survive. Well, Johnny Cash is an ex-convict. And he's out and he's loose. People are looking for him. So he says, I'll tell you what, Reverend Alden, I'll go to these nearby towns. I'll collect this stuff for you. He says, I'll go to Walnut Grove. Well, he doesn't tell Reverend Alden. He takes his outfit. He dresses up and poses as Brother Johnny Cash. He poses as Brother Hotchkiss. And he shows up in Walnut Grove, and as luck would have it, he runs into the Ingalls family. So he matches up with Mary Ingalls. They travel around and they're knocking on doors, collecting things from people. The whole time, it's setting it up and Johnny Cash has in the back of his mind, I'm keeping every bit of this for myself. This is mine. I got this. And it is, I mean, it is, it's in the bank. This is easy. He starts knocking on doors, tells them what happens. Mary Ingalls is sitting there saying all the right things. People are just handing out their money, handing out blankets, handing over lumber, handing over sacks of potatoes, whatever they think that somebody that has nothing will need they give. Well, as it goes on, oh, Brother Hodgkiss, as he starts knocking on doors, he starts realizing every door he knocks on in Walnut Grove, he starts thinking, we need to shut that door and go to the next people. They don't have enough to give. They can't give anything. They barely have enough for themselves. But they say, no, wait a minute. And they go and get what they have, and they give it to him. This blows his mind. So there's a scene, and he's traveling in the carriage with little Mary Ingalls. And his pockets are full. The wagon's full. They've even got a separate storehouse where they're storing all the goods, all the money and everything that he's given, that people have given to him. And he says, Mary, I just can't understand. I've never seen people give so generously. He says, I don't understand it. He says, every time I open the door, not only do they give, but it seems like they give all they have. And Mary says this. How profound is this? Little Mary Ingalls looks up at her and says, People around here know what it's like to need, not to have. She said, I've noticed something else, Brother Hodgkiss. She said, the people that don't have much, they give the most. He said, because they know what it's like to need. They don't know what it's like to have. She says, that's where their generosity comes from. Now, you and I, most of us in this room, we know what it's like to have. We don't know what it's like to need in many aspects of our lives. But if what I said earlier is true, 
that being content is not about coming to grip with the circumstances that we find ourselves in, then what is it? What is God telling us about our situation this morning? What does a passage like Philippians 4 tell us? What is this explaining to us? God is shouting to us. And we don't hear Him. He is shouting to us in the person of His Son, saying you don't have to be content with the circumstances that you find yourself in. He says, because I have completely changed the game. He has completely changed it. The circumstances have been altered in unimaginable ways for you and for I this morning. Paul can say that he knows how to be brought low because he knows what Christ has done. Now, if you're struggling this morning with anything, with anything, I'm not even going to go through a list of possibilities. I don't care what it is that you are facing right now. It does not matter. Christ knows more. He knows even more what it is to be brought low. Look at Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. It says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He humbled himself. Translation for you this morning, he humbled himself, he was brought low. He who is God was brought low. Paul, who had been shipwrecked, been beaten, been persecuted, Paul knew what it was to be hungry, to be thirsty, to be cold, to be naked, to be beaten, to be persecuted. Christ knows what it's like to be hungry, to be thirsty, to be cold, to be naked. He knows what it's like to die a horrific death and to remain under the power of that death for three days. But guess what? It doesn't stop there. Christ also knows what it is to rise again. Christ knows the power of resurrection. That's what you're seeking this morning. That's what you're looking for. You're looking for resurrection. You're looking to that contentment that can only be found in the Lord. Christ knows what it is to overcome. So when we come to a passage like this this morning, and we read, I can do all things through Him who strengthens me, we understand that we have something strengthening us that understands, someone that understands what it is to be low, to be brought into low circumstances. Now, we're commanded to be content, but I want you to know that you are commanded to be content in not having less. Here it is. Contentment is not having less. Contentment in the Lord is having more. You're not offered less. You're offered more than you could ever imagine. It is not about 
finding contentment in having less. It's realizing what God is offering you in His Son, which is everything. Everything. That means without exception. Everything. And we are discontent when we don't make much out of Christ. And I mentioned earlier that there was a group of us that got together on Thursday nights to talk about a book. We talked about the greener grass conspiracy. And in the first chapter, it talked about the if-only game. You ever play this game? If-only? Here's how he said you play it. He said the game works by thinking about what would make you happy. He said, I mean, really, freakishly, I can't believe this is happening to me happy. What do you obsess about, dream about, desperately hope for? He said, now put the words, if only, in front of that dream. If only I could get married, then I would be happy. If only I could get the job promotion that would get me out of cubicle land and into the corner office, I would be satisfied. If only my wife weren't sick so often. If only my son would start respecting me. If only my budget wasn't so tight, then I'd have peace, joy, contentment, and some sleep at night. So then he explained how Jesus taught in Mark chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. Don't turn there. I want to read it to you. And if you want to write it down and refer to this later, do that. But I want to read this to you from Mark chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. Listen to Jesus' words. What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, Murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. It's a long list. It says all these evil things come from within and they defile a person. Here's what that means. That means if from within you and me is evil, then you and me, we need to look outside of ourselves for a cure. We have to find the cure for our discontented hearts from outside of ourselves. We have to understand that it's through Christ who strengthens us that we find our contentment. Now, we can be content now, but we also have to realize we cannot be fully satisfied. You and I were created for something far greater. Now, C.S. Lewis, who is often quoted, you've heard him quoted here before, I want to quote him again. He says, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy. I want you to hear this. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. How profound is that? Do you agree with that this morning? Now, I should probably end with this. And it is another quote from this book. Let me read it to you. It says, let's allow our current battles with discontentment to serve as reminders of heaven. When you feel lonely, pray that God would bring you a godly, attractive spouse. Then thank Jesus that someday your pangs of loneliness will be destroyed in the joy of His presence. When you long for deeper friendships, pray that God would give you close, Jesus-loving pals. Then turn your eyes to the day when all friendships will be perfected in Christ. When your heart is breaking because you can't conceive a baby, rest your broken heart in Jesus. Then through the tears, he says, look to the day that Jesus will wipe away every tear. Everyone. 
We fight the battle of contentment through Christ who strengthens us, but one day the battle will be over. God is calling us to look forward to that day where He will wipe away every single tear, no matter why you are shedding it. Now, if you don't have that day, if you're not already looking forward to that day, and it's already yours, if you are not experiencing that right now where you sit, call me. Call Chris. Send an email. Find a neighbor that you see walking with the Lord. Find someone that something's different about their life and you can't explain their happiness. Ask them if they know the Lord. If you do not have that day, this life is too short and eternity is far too long to not know the Lord. And know that when a sinner cries out to God for salvation, it is right then that he forgives every sin. Wipes it clean. Forgives every sin and credits Jesus' perfect life to him or to her. That's where you find your contentment in having everything. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we are <laughs> we're a discontented people. We have discontented hearts. Lord, I pray that you would more and more every day, Lord, that you would show us your face, that you would have us to look to the cross. Lord, we find happiness and peace and joy that we can't even imagine in this life. And Lord, as we go through this life and we have desires that just seem to not be met, Lord, have us realize that we are to look outside of ourselves, that we are to look outside of the things of this world and look to your kingdom, to look to your Son. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.